Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I feel like our time has come. With so much fear and loathing and now even hatred, that constructive open-minded conversations that we've been doing are not only a good idea, but they're essential. You know, there's that famous quote from Mr. Rogers saying that when something bad happens in the world, you don't need to focus on the tragedy. Maybe it's more productive to look for the people who are helping. Look for the helpers. Yeah, helpers in North Carolina, renewing democracy. Um, we are a saturated community with over 4,500 nonprofits registered for just our county. That means that there are a lot of folks out there with good intentions who aren't really producing results. Because if we were producing results, we wouldn't have 30% child poverty rate. We would have a 100% high school graduation rate. And that is not the case in Durham, North Carolina. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? This is the third of three podcasts that we've recorded. Richard, you've kind of been on the road for How Do We Fix It? First in Iowa and then Minnesota, and now for today's show, North Carolina. And we pull back from the political precipice in these shows. And you've talked to a lot of people in all these places who are showing how real change can come, not nationally, but starting at the grassroots, starting locally. We've seen what fear and hate can do, so perhaps it's time to try a little love. In our last two podcasts, we looked at projects to boost civility and have constructive conversations across that ideological divide. Today, we're going from talking to working as a way of bridging divides. Richard, you looked at an example of what happens when you bring different social action and community building groups together under one roof. Yeah, a sort of WeWorks for nonprofits and companies that have a mission. It's not just a place where people make money. We're here at ReCity in, in Durham, North Carolina. Could I first just get your name? Rob Shields. And your position? Yeah, so I uh, work as the executive director here at ReCity. So tell me why you believe in the mission of ReCity. You know, that's actually a pretty rare question. I don't often get that one, but I, I would love the opportunity to answer it. I believe in ReCity because uh, I believe there is hope for our communities. And I think that when you turn on the news right now, you don't find a lot of hope. Um, You find a lot of discouragement. You find a lot of division. And people don't often walk away from the evening news encouraged and uplifted and hopeful. And so for me, ReCity is an opportunity to show 
hope, show that hope is possible, show that unity is possible in a community. And I think right now that's a message that we're not hearing through a lot of the channels that we absorb uh, information through. You're right about that. Tell me why you think that hope is possible. Well, I personally believe that we're meant for something greater than the the current dynamic of how we see communities existing. Uh, I think that from a a faith perspective, I know everyone doesn't approach their world through the same lens, but for me, I look at the idea of redemption and restoration. I think these are really deep truths that permeate uh, a lot of different perspectives. And for me, I believe that stories can be rewritten. I really do. I believe that ReCity is an opportunity to uh, show people that communities really can work for everyone. When we stop dehumanizing each other and really start to get proximate, uh, we lean in to each other's stories. I find this kind of interesting. Rob says he doesn't see the country as more divided than it used to be, but more aware of its divisions. And that could be a catalyst for hope. ReCity is a shared space. It's a large, open-plan, one-story building, and it hosts over 40 organizations, each with the common goal of improving the health and well-being of the community. When you walk into ReCity, we recognize and we really value that if we're going to tackle really big system problems, systems are made up of people. Tackling system change can feel very overwhelming at times. How do you change entire systems? Whoa, like where do you even... What bite do I take of that elephant, right? That just seems overwhelming and oppressive. But when you think about the fact that systems fundamentally are made up of collections of people, then you can start to humanize the problem a little bit and say, well, how do people function? If you can bring people together and we can start to empathize with each other on a really basic human level, learning each other's stories, finding common ground, building trust through that power of proximity, That's what we're trying to build here, and that's why we've invested in this space, why space is so important to our mission. What we are doing is putting a social impact spin on the co-working scene. If anyone needs to be in the same space to share resources and build trust and find ways they can work together and collaborate, it's the social impact space. That's nonprofits, mission-driven businesses that could employ families in need in the community. What kinds of skills are being shared? We're seeing a lot of knowledge sharing across our space of veteran leaders, veteran community leaders that have been you know, born and raised in Durham, have built up relationships of trust in Durham, those folks linking arms with new kids on the block, so to speak, and finding ways to mentor each other, share ideas, share what's working, share what's not working. So it's more about collaboration than competition. Absolutely. The temptation is, out of fear, to say, I don't want to work near you or share with you because that may be less for me, ultimately, and less for my organization. And, and what do you say to that? Huh. I believe that being a part of something like ReCity, linking arms with others, the rewards outweigh the risks a hundredfold. So, Richard, what Rob Shields is saying here reminds me a little bit of that earlier episode we did with Paul Skinner, who talked about the benefits of collaboration. And also, Jim, with the decline of community groups, uh, what sociologist Robert Putman famously called Bowling Alone. Right, your favorite book. 
Yeah, one of one of my faves. There's a yearning for collaboration, for community in shared projects where people are physically in the same space. Possibly what ReCity and even WeWorks are doing is part of a turning point in our society away from people being on their own. Using Durham as an example, let's hear more about what local social action groups are doing. My name is Julie Wells, and I'm the executive director at Partners for Youth Opportunity. We start with students as early as eighth grade, and we follow them four years after high school graduation. And the students that we work with, we choose because they're either receiving free and reduced lunch, they're first-generation immigrants, or they have family members incarcerated. And in what ways do you feel you help them? Most of the students that come to us have dreams of high school completion, going to college, having good jobs. They just do not have any idea how to make those things happen, nor do they have the connections and the opportunities. And we are here to facilitate and broker opportunities for our students uh, so that when they graduate from high school, they are prepared for four-year or two-year institutions, and they have resumes that can make them competitive in the job market. And what's special about this community here at ReCity? I think one of the things that makes us really unique here um, at ReCity as a group of nonprofits working together is that we're willing to be honest, we're willing to be vulnerable, and we're willing to talk about when we fail. Um, we are a saturated community here in Durham, North Carolina, with over 4,500 nonprofits registered for just our county. That means that there are a lot of folks out there with good intentions who aren't really producing results. Because if we were producing results, we wouldn't have 30% child poverty rate. We would have 100% high school graduation rate. And that is not the case in Durham, North Carolina. So the ReCity partners are all here to understand what part do we play in changing the community. And we're also willing to know when we're not hitting the mark. What happens here is groups share expertise face-to-face. If they're good at one thing, they tell others about it, for instance, with technology. So it's one of the things that we do really well here is if I find a mechanism that works really well for my organization, say a texting mechanism where we stay in touch with our students, instead of step up or um, Durham Cares having to find a texting mechanism that might work for their clients or, or the people that they care about, we can identify it, use it, figure out what the problems are, and then give them accurate information about a tool that might be useful for them. Much of what we do on our show on how do we fix it is is politically related. We live in a very divided country right now. Has that made your work more difficult? Yes. 40% of the students that I serve are first-generation immigrants. Uh, 15% of the students that I serve are undocumented themselves. There is a tremendous amount of trauma that is related to being afraid that your parent or your sister or your guardian or your grandmother may be taken at any time. Yes, when national conversations are happening, um, people can feel incensed by them, but we feel the effects of them with the students that we serve. And we have to modify the way in which we approach people based on what they're up against. Could you give me an example? Sure. When, uh, as soon as immigration and, um, and fear of ICE started and really strongly here in Durham, there were several instances of police showing up in neighborhoods and arresting folks. Um, we had parents immediately pull their kids out of academic coaching, which is a, like a tutoring program that we run after school twice a week. And when we called to say, why is Mary Bell not coming? Why is Diego not here? Those parents said, we are not willing to drive our cars around town because if we get stopped, 
we don't have valid license. And that is very true within the immigrant population. A lot of folks are driving without valid license because it's so difficult to get the documentation they need to get a license. And so your obvious question for Julie is, what can each of us do if we want to make a difference? Right. And that's what I asked her. If you feel uh, incensed or want something to change within your community, your state, or your country, figure out your role of how to plug in to make change happen. Um, Particularly after the last election, there was a lot of folks that reached out to my nonprofit to figure out what can I do. Um, Two things. One, figure out the nonprofit or the service within your community that's making change in the area that you care about and support them financially, period. Give people who know what they're doing the money to do what they need to do. The second is understand that one-off volunteer opportunities are not what makes change happen. The next person we hear from works for a for-profit company, a staffing agency. His name is Tucker Stevens, and he's the managing director in North Carolina for Amplio Recruiting. His company works with refugees. Most people win. I tell them what we do, they assume we're a nonprofit. I mean, that's what's really unique is being able to operate in this social impact space as a B Corp and find a way that we can help people very directly um, in a way that everyone needs. Everyone needs a good job, right? And what's really interesting right now in the United States is that we have a really low unemployment rate. However, skilled labor and especially you know manufacturing and labor industries are at an all-time high of having a difficult time finding reliable work. So what we do is we're kind of bridging that gap. There's a lot of refugees who don't have the opportunities necessarily because of a language barrier or a cultural barrier. So we work with the resettlement agencies, churches, mosques, community groups to try and bridge that gap. So there's a skills gap. Absolutely. And you have companies that want to hire people and they don't think that there's anybody out there qualified who can do the job. Exactly. And so that's why we say that the refugee workforce is America's best kept secret. The fact that they're documented to work and there's no question there. So that's part of what we do is introduce the fact that there's this entire market sitting there ready for the taking. Why do you think refugees tend to be such good workers? It really is incredible how reliable they are, how dependable they are. The statistics show that time and again. Um, People come from other countries where they're experienced with working hard, providing for their families, all these things. Um, And the other is that they've left such difficult circumstances, right? And I think what's important to remember about refugees is it's, it's not by choice. They've literally had to flee for their lives or they've been removed by a government um, or a religious you know, force. And so they're so grateful to have left that behind. Um, and so they're thankful for any work, even if it's a lower work than what they were accustomed to. But refugees get a bad rap. Many people are suspicious of refugees. The current administration has dramatically cut the number of refugees being admitted to this country. Yes. You know, I certainly I walk into businesses telling them that we'd love to bring them some refugee employees. And of course, you know, they want to know, are they legal? Are they going to steal things? Are they going to commit a crime? And how do you answer them? Yes, they're documented to work. They have a social security card. They have state and federal IDs. They either have a green card or a work authorization card. Um, The only difference between someone who's given refugee status between one of the two of us and a refugee is they have to wait five years to officially apply to become a citizen, and then they can vote. Otherwise, they're here to stay. They're not on a visa. They don't need sponsorship. 
they don't have to go back to their home country at any point. They're natives of America at this point. And how do you address the argument that, that many refugees could be damaged or traumatized by war and that that might affect their performance on the job? That's one area where the statistics do help. The traditional labor force in America actually turns over two-thirds more often than the refugee workforce. And so there was a young, a young lady from Congo who said it best, look at everything that we've been through, look at everything that we've left behind. We didn't come here to bring our problems and our struggles. We left those, and we're here to start fresh. So a little aside here, Jim, Miranda, our producer, was editing this and listening to Tucker's voice and, and thought it was kind of remarkable. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and, and there's, there have been times when I wish I had a deeper voice, and Tucker's <laughs> is certainly one example. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And coming up more on the work of ReCity in Durham. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tim Woleem also makes a pragmatic argument on behalf of people who have a criminal background but can't find a job. This is something we've looked into in a number of How Do We Fix It episodes. We heard about this from uh, Brian Hamilton, his program Inmates to Entrepreneurs. That's right. So this group offers free job prep boot camps that teach basic workplace skills. And then part of what he tells employers is this. We have folks who voluntarily went through a week where we needed them to be on time complete their assignments, treat other folks with respect, be teachable, work on their interviews. So all the things they're going to need to be need to do to be successful in your job, they've already done them for a week for free. And this is what we've been doing with them since. So rather than waste your time on Craigslist, let me tell you why we have a candidate who's already been vetted, who's already proven they're ready for this opportunity. We'd love for you to consider interviewing them. And so on employer's side, the goal then is it's saving them time, it's saving them some of the HR legwork to find well-qualified candidates. Is it difficult sometimes to persuade employers that people who have a criminal record in their background are in any way worth employing? Yeah, and so those are some challenging conversations that we need to have, especially because our nonprofit was birthed by some really wonderful folks. But when folks see someone with a criminal background, it's like essentially, oh, if I hire them, then I can tell them about Jesus. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you hire them, you can get a rock star who's going to make your business better. Like if you have ulterior motives about how you see this person or you see them as a charity case or like you see yourself as in some way rescuing them, no, 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 you need to hire this person because it's a good business choice. The background for this show is is political polarization, a divided country. Um, in what ways do you feel you're working to counter that? 
Yeah, StepUp is in this really remarkable position because there are folks on the left who love us because they're going, oh, you're working with justice-involved folks, so there's this kind of redemptive quality to what you're doing. And not to say that the right doesn't have redemptive pieces, too. That's not what I mean. Um, and then there are people on the right who are going, so you're just trying to fortify the economy? Like, you want less people on food stamps? You want less people receiving government support? Like, yes, we want them to be able to have the type of job where they feel really good about how they take care of themselves and how they take care of their family. And so wherever you are politically, you're like, there should be more people working. We're all elevated when people who have talents get to use those talents. And so it's not a red or blue. Like, we're all pro people working and having good economic opportunities. Also here at ReCity, Yolanda Chisholm works with young people to find them jobs. Her group is called NC Works Next Gen. I provide a lot of the career development training and GED workshops for a lot of our youth here. So with our program, we provide education, training, and employment opportunities. So sometimes we partner with other organizations within Durham, but specifically here in the office, I do the career readiness workshops to provide like resume writing, interviewing skills, soft skills development, that type thing to get them ready for the workforce. And then for some of our students who need their GED, I also provide tutoring services so that they can pass their GED and have that credential as well. How does working in a place like this help you? It just kind of make you reflect a little bit more and compare how you grew up to the way others grew up. And it gives you, one, an appreciation for some of the lessons you've learned, but also you appreciate the challenges that a lot of our young adults have to overcome in order to be able to have a satisfactory life. Anything else you wanted to add? Um, No, I just... Well, I shouldn't say no and then start talking, but (laughs) 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 I I just want to say that um, NC Works Next Gen is a really great program, and I've seen a lot of the changes that they've been able to make within the community, within these young adults' lives. Well, Well, give me an example. So we just, when I was talking with you earlier, I saw one of our young men come in, and so he was one of our um, students that came over from Africa. So he's an immigrant trying to make his way into the United States, and he also needed his high school diploma. So working with our partners over at Achievement Academy, he was able to get his GED recently. He expressed interest in working in the uh, medical field, so now we have him on an internship where he's... um, working as a bio, I think it's a bioengineering research intern. So he's getting a chance to realize that dream. And at the same time, he's also going to start taking classes at Durham Tech. So it's almost like you have someone who's brand new to the country, you know, not really sure what opportunities exist. And now he's moving forward. He's had his, has his high school diploma, is going to work. So just start to finish, we help students. Yolanda Chisholm and most of the other social action leaders here are young, probably a good deal less than half my age. Many came here at least partially because of their religious faith. Simply put, they act on their need to help others. Reynolds Chapman heads up an organization called Durham Cares. The mission of Durham Cares is to foster collaboration to develop leaders, and to educate the people of Durham to care for their neighbors in holistic ways. So we're looking to shift community engagement from a transactional way or one-time volunteer opportunities to having a more comprehensive approach to ask 
What does it look like to be a good neighbor in Durham in every aspect of life? One of the events they organize, and I dearly love to do this, is the Durham Pilgrimage of Pain and Hope. We got together and said, what would it look like to offer an opportunity for people in Durham to go on pilgrimage, not to some faraway place like Mecca or the Holy Land or the Camino, but what does it look like to go on pilgrimage right here in our own city? What does it look like to see our own city as a sacred place? And we crafted this spiritual journey of exploring the story of Durham and how it connects with our own stories and God's story. What are a couple of examples of people who've shaped the city of Durham? Well, one of the most inspiring people for the pilgrimage participants is Virginia Williams. She was a part of the 1957 Royal Ice Cream Sit-In, and she still lives in Durham. And and what was that event? Uh, So the Royal Ice Cream Parlor was an ice cream parlor that uh, was a whites-only parlor. Um, They they did let African Americans um, get ice cream in the back door, but they couldn't sit down, and they had to come to just stand at the back door to get ice cream. So Miss Williams and six other people made up the Royal Seven, who were the people who agreed to walk through the doors when they swung open and go straight to the counter and sit down and say, I would like some ice cream, please. Yeah. And, and another example? Another is Elder John Blackfeather Jeffries, and he is one of the elders at the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. It's one of the Native American tribes that inhabited this area before it was colonized. And so he shares about his story and the story of his family and his people. And that's how we start the pilgrimage is to hear about that history. Durham Cares is a religious organization. Uh, yeah. So our one of our main values uh, is that we are motivated and guided by the life and work of Jesus Christ, inspired by the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is really a parable about the religious outsider getting the religious insiders to be motivated to do good for their neighbors. We're very welcoming of other faiths and people of no faith to participate in the work that we're doing. Now, Christians, as well as all kinds of other communities are, are very divided. You have mm-hmm. some Christians who are deeply conservative, others who are, who are very liberal. Mm-hmm. Do you deal in any way with, with those differences? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, it's not so fun sometimes, too. We bring together churches not based on commonality necessarily of political persuasion or commonality of denominational persuasion, but we gather them based on place. So we have a place-based cohort of churches in the East Durham area where we bring together churches that share the same area uh, to help them learn about what each other are doing in the community. And, and those are very different organizations. Right. And that's the thing. When you, when you gather people around place, then you can have that commonality of we hear the same sounds, we see the same people, we experience the same weather. You might have rain on one side of Durham, but not on the other side of Durham. So you experience these same experiences together, but you might have churches with radically different stories or backgrounds, but they care about their neighborhood. Do you sometimes have, though, one church feeling that another church is, is evil or is completely off the tracks? Yes, we do. 
I, I've seen, I mean, I don't know if they would say that they're evil, but I think that there's a lot of distrust in the church, and there's a lot of distrust of the church for good reason. I mean, the church has done some extremely damaging things and continues to do damaging things if you look at the world that we live in today. And when people are face-to-face, they can listen and learn from each other, and I think the same thing's true with this place, ReCity, Jim. Right. It's those everyday interactions with people from other nonprofit groups and businesses that brings new connections and ideas that you know you might not have had without that close proximity. Keith Daniel, who has lived in Durham for more than 30 years and is the board chair of Durham Cares, puts it this way. Places like ReCity that have, have tried to make us more proximate to the, the thought leaders and the executive directors, I think it starts to break down some of that um, ego, the levels of ego that we have for our, our solutions or our approaches to things or how we understand problems. The civic landscape is pretty volatile right now. Um, and that's why I mostly stay off social media. I'd rather uh, spend my time face-to-face with someone here hashing out, you know, where we think the issues are than behind a computer screen and, and you know, in all caps or using other type language personally myself. Anyway. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Keith Daniel, and what we just heard from him on social media resonates with me. Much of this face-to-face collaboration, or real collaboration, is a silent rebuke to social media, where people can punch the keys of their computers and get all worked up without having to have a conversation. Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm torn about social media because I also think it creates incredible opportunities to get people together, to communicate, to build new communities. You know, it's not always weaponized for political partisanship. We've certainly focused on that a lot on our show. But, but I do think that putting down the phone and, and talking to people is, is critical across the spectrum – not just for an organization like ReCity or for any nonprofit, but for, for everybody, right down to our most intimate relationships. A little anecdote on that from being a reporter over the years. I was always amazed that if I made the effort to go and see somebody and interview them as opposed to interviewing them over the phone for a news story, I just had a much stronger understanding of what they were about and their perspective, what they're talking about. And, th- and that was the result of being in the same room with them. And I love the part about getting different churches signed up to work together, not because they're the same denomination or they're oriented the same way politically or ethnically or anything else. Yeah, because they're proximate. They're close to each yeah, other physically. Proximity. Prox- and they're, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, these two churches – might be two blocks from each other. They may have very different congregations, very different orientations, but all of a sudden they're kind of thrust together. That just seems like an obvious but great idea. Yeah, there was a lovely moment there where, where Reynolds Chapman chuckled. He said, oh, it's easy. And then he went, well, actually, it isn't. You know, <laughs> This work of getting people together of different perspectives is not easy and, and can't be underestimated. But what I walk away from from these three visits to Iowa, Minnesota, and North Carolina it is that face-to-face thing. It's so important. And that if we're going to complain about the other side, whatever our political perspective is, if, if we're not engaged ourselves, uh, 
at least talking to some people who see the world differently from us or come from different backgrounds, then we're part of the problem. <laughs> right. I'm going to I'm going to go to my overarching conclusion from all of this that you've heard from me before, which is it's so critical for people to spend time together in these conversations. You don't necessarily have to change your mind. You don't have to change their minds. It's okay to disagree. What's crucial is that you see the people across from you as people first and put the ideology second. Yeah, and and I'm going to try and walk the walk as well as talk the talk and and get involved with at least a couple of sessions that are being organized by two of the groups we profiled in our shows, Living Room Conversations and Better Angels. And Jim, if you're not with me on these, I'll report back to you. Okay, great. We're How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. Special thanks. To our friends at Solutions Journalism Network, who helped fund this episode, and to Reynolds Chapman of Durham Cares. Yeah, he put us together with some of the folks we spoke to uh, in Durham for this episode. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And we're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits and uh, put together podcasts, including this one. Check us out at DaviesContent.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.